I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, Jim. Great to be back for the latest edition of The Other Hand. After a short break, and we've been slightly quiet this week, partly because you are in Canada, the country of my birth. So I'm very envious, Jim. I think you're actually sitting, as we speak, in a hotel room in Montreal. And that's always a fun city to visit. One of the interesting things about Canada are the rather stark differences between the main cities. Montreal isn't that far from Toronto, but you, you might think that you are in a different country. You're certainly speaking a different language, as that, of course, is a, a French-speaking city. But before we crack on to our more usual agenda, Jim, uh, give us your impressions of Canada and tell us why you're there and how it's going. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Uh, great to talk from Canada. Um, say I'm here in Montreal looking out in the darkness at the, whole, at the city covered in snow um the, the climate has been incredible here you know minus 10 minus 11 and uh they keep telling me that if you're back here in january february it'll be minus 30 you know so th- that is a bit of a shock but i was expecting it um last june i published a report on the economic relationship between ireland and canada for the irish canada business association um it was a short enough report but it was analyzing you know from published data uh, the export in goods and services flowing in both directions, foreign direct investments from Canadian companies in Ireland, 75 of them in fact, and also the Irish companies that invest and do business and sell into Canada. So that was basically the report. Uh, we launched it and as I say, it was the Irish Canada Business Association in Ireland that um, asked me to do it. But uh about six weeks ago, I got a phone call from the Irish Embassy in Ottawa saying they had picked up the report and they were saying that it was the first sort of um, written down uh, description of the economic and financial relationship between Canada and Ireland that they'd come across and wondering if I would come out to a series of events to speak to Irish Canadian audiences and indeed others about that relationship and more importantly about the potential for that relationship to grow 
and what needs to be done to make it grow. Um, so I spent the first uh, day and a half in Ottawa where I spoke at a function. Um, I, a Canadian MP from Toronto, James Maloney, um, as you can gather, he's Chinese, uh, but James Maloney, um, whose father-in-law is from Dungarvan, he brought us into the parliament uh, for question time. And I saw uh, Pierre Trudeau. I know, I know you're not a huge fan, but I saw him. Only do- because he's a snowboarder. And I don't <laughs> like, I just don't like snowboarders. <laughs> but um, I, I had the pleasure and privilege of seeing him handling question time. And uh, it was amazing, actually. I, I sat for about an hour in the gallery listening to what was going on. And uh, if I closed my eyes and sort of uh, forgot about the accents and the language that I was here being spoken, because there was a lot of French being spoken in Parliament as well. But um, you'd swear you were back in Ireland. They were talking about the need to uh, deliver more housing. They were talking about mortgage affordability. They were talking about climate change. They were talking about food prices. They were talking about carbon taxes. You know, absolutely the same sorts of issues that um, are bedeviling, I think, most countries around the world at the moment. But that was fascinating. Then on to Toronto, uh, spoke at a breakfast there yesterday. Um, and, and that was a totally different experience because Ottawa, as you know, is a government city. So it's, it's very different. Toronto, when I was walking down to the breakfast meeting yesterday morning, I felt I was in New York. Uh, you know, it's I, I, I didn't actually realize just how big a city it is. I think it's the fourth or fifth largest in North America. Yeah, it depends where you draw the boundaries. I mean, as you know, uh, there are official city boundaries in Dublin. You know, where does Dublin begin and end? The, the, those sorts of questions uh, arise all the time because cities are organic they are changing and growing all the time i think there are two concepts metropolitan toronto and the gta the greater toronto area which these days seems to extend all the way to niagara falls but the gta greater toronto area is thought to have around six or seven million people in it which means that it is one very large city and the reason why you've got all those skyscrapers down Manhattan-like in the downtown area of Toronto. There are many different drivers of that. But one interesting piece of history, at least I think is quite interesting, is that the reason why all of the banks are in Toronto in terms of their headquarters goes all the way back to a time when Quebec, one of the provinces of Canada, was threatening to succeed and go its own way because of being French-speaking and, and all that nationalistic stuff. And it speaks to the perils of letting nationalism drive your economic policy. Because what happened when, uh, this was decades ago, when Quebec was threatening to depart from Canada for nationalistic reasons, all of the banks, which at the time were headquartered in Montreal, said, we're not having any of this, we're going to stay in Canada, and we're leaving just in case Quebec and Montreal uh, leave Canada. So they all camped, de- decamped to Toronto and helped make Toronto the city that it is today. And the reason why you have, as I say, those Manhattan style skyscrapers, a lot of them are the banks, not, not all of them, um, is because of letting nationalism drive your economic policies. And Montreal lost out. Wow, that's, that's, that's extraordinary. I, I didn't actually realize that. Um, I, I, Flew then from Toronto to Montreal, and um, in in Toronto we we use an airport called Billy Bishop Airport, which is downtown in the city, small airport, 
uh, a pleasure to go through. But anyway, the point is that the address of Billy Bishop Air Airport is One Aaron Street. Okay, yeah, it's it's basically on the edge of Lake Ontario, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. But Aaron E E I R E A N N. You know, quite extraordinary. And uh, just beside us, the there is a, a thing called well, a, a park, a small park called Ireland Park, and um, it is basically dedicated to the famine. And there's a number of s- sculptors in the park, and I was looking at him thinking, this seems really familiar, but it's by the same sculptor that did the famine sculptures on the quays beside the IFSC in Dublin. So that is being developed into a major sort of a historical Irish cultural centre. Uh, there's a, a significant building being redesigned to facilitate all things Irish. So, you know, it is incredible to see all of that happening. Then up to Montreal, uh, totally different experience, absolutely freezing, snow everywhere. Um, I saw three murals of one of my heroes, Leonard Cohn. And in fact, at the function I was speaking at last night, uh, I spoke to two gentlemen who actually knew Leonard Cohn back in the day. So uh, I found that absolutely fascinating. But anyway, that that's beside the point. Um, Montreal, just very different. I kind of felt I was in Boston, you know, the nature of the architecture and the sort of layout of the city. Uh, I'm, I'm probably doing, I don't know which city I'm doing a disservice to, but perhaps that's not correct. But in my brief time here, that's the sort of impression I got. But anyway, you know, the bottom line is that at every event, uh, I was kind of astounded by the cultural and historic links between Canada and um, Ireland. I didn't realize that in 1847, for example, 38,000 Irish um, came to Toronto, a city with a population of 20,000. And apparently Montreal had an even larger influx of Irish relative to the population of the city. So that sort of resonates with what's going on you know, in, in many countries at the moment with Ukrainian refugees, etc., coming in. I you know, you think about a village like Listoon Varna in Clare that I think has no more Ukrainians than Irish living in it. So it's it's just extraordinary the way history keeps repeating itself in different guises. But anyway, I, I guess the key point is astounded by the cultural and historic links between Canada and Ireland. I actually did not realise that I always felt that the United States was where that linkage really existed in a very, very strong way. But I think Canada seems to be every bit as um, as, as as going in that direction, or sorry, as as featuring that characteristic. Excuse me. Well, I've said I've often said to you, Jim. Uh, not, on, not maybe I've said it on the podcast, but certainly in private conversation, is that if you just come over to South Wales, um, you'll be astonished if you ask people their names how many people in South Wales have an Irish surname because of emigration from uh, the south of the Republic, essentially from counties Wexford, Cork, um, Waterford, your home uh, here. My great-grandmother was from Waterford. My great-grandfather was from Clonakilty. And they they all came over to work on the Marquis of Butte's docks in uh, Cardiff and Barry, and tens of thousands of them. He paid for a lot of them to come over, actually in the middle late 19th century so as a result to this present day there are more uh, catholic schools in south wales than there should be demographically speaking and there are many many people with uh, very irish surnames and with irish 
ancestry. Uh, but the interesting aspect of that is that unlike, say, for example, in America, where people describe themselves, they are self-described as Irish Americans, very few of the people here think of themselves as Welsh Irish. Uh, they they un, they assimilated almost overnight, and uh, a very different cultural experience. The history of which I don't think has been very well written up. But it's just another interesting aspect of the Irish emigration story. There is an Irish diaspora in Wales, um, as big as the one in uh, New York or Boston, but just one that doesn't um, celebrate St Patrick's Day in quite the same way as they do. Okay, geez, that's that's amazing because um, they, they were telling me here in Montreal last night that the St Patrick's Day parade could have six hundred and fifty thousand people marching in it, you know, which is quite amazing. Um, but you know, there's there's so much I could say about it, but um, I suppose I am here in a sense trying to sell Ireland as a location for Canadian investment and also the other way around you know, um, opening, trying, well, sorry, helping opening up Canada to Irish businesses and so on. But uh, that cultural and historical thing really is important. And I, 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 we've often spoken on this podcast about the concentration risk in Ireland, you know, the huge dependence on a small number of multinational companies from the United States. And of course, one of the big threats to that could come next November um, if Donald Trump is re-elected. And Edward Luce, had a, an article in the Financial Times earlier this week talking about what the world needs to fear from uh, the Trump if he gets into power again. Uh, but it, it just shows the potential vulnerability for US investment overseas if Trump pushes ahead with some of the rubbish he's talking about. But um, that, I think, highlights the need to diversify our international exposure and I, I, you look at a country like Canada, I think a population of about 48 million with such strong links to Ireland, um, you know, selling Ireland as the only native English speaking country in the European Union, uh, apart from Malta. So access into the European market is very important. And of course, one of the challenges uh, would be France, because obviously uh, the cultural and language connection with France, particularly where I am this morning in Montreal, is absolutely uh, astounding. Uh, but but I but I do think the potential to build this relationship um, is absolutely essential, and it also strikes me that the way to do that is have feet on the ground here. I never fully understood actually until this week uh, the role of an embassy um, in a country. It's extraordinary. Yeah, uh, they used to say diplomats used to say that uh, war is just politics by other means and that's what diplomats used to be i think that certainly here in the uk the foreign office sometimes uh harks back to those days with nostalgia and wishes it was still like that because they are now essentially salesmen for british industry overseas and i think a lot of diplomats are very sophisticated and very well educated salespeople for uh for a country and i think i think that's absolutely right there's nothing wrong with that at all it's the way it should be and so I think I think you're right. But tell me, Jim, you mentioned Trump, you mentioned Canada. Uh, what do Canadians think of the prospect of Donald Trump making a comeback? Have you managed to have that conversation? with Yeah, them? I, I certainly have, because 70 to 75 percent of Canadian exports go to the United States. So, uh, you know, they are really worried about the trade agreement, the free trade agreement. Uh, they are really worried about Trump 
saying that he'd put a slap a 10% tariff on all imports into the United States. So yeah, they are deeply concerned, absolutely. And uh, certainly in terms of company risk registers, as I can gauge it here, uh, Trump's trade policies feature very strongly. And I've, I've had numerous conversations with people about that. But, but, but of course, uh, Canada... Canada politically is actually pretty stable, despite the political system. Did but, you meet uh, any Canadian Trumpists? Uh, no, I didn't actually. There are quite a few, actually, believe I'm it or not. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, as there are in in any country, and uh, Canada has this reputation of being uh, very very centrist, very polite, and all sorts of other other, as you say, stable things. But I've always been surprised in my frequent visits to Canada, both West Coast and East Coast, where you are, about the number of people who um, are self-declared Trump supporters. And so it's not quite as centrist as perhaps you might think. But so, so the next election in Canada will be interesting in that regard. But as you say, Trump's trade policies pose a threat to us all, not just Canada. And Lucy's article in the FT, I think you're right to mention it, was a terrific piece. It's not the first one he's written like that. And I'm sure it won't be the last. But I have a small prediction for you for an outside bet, Jim. If you get good odds on this, I'm going to make a forecast for the next president of the United States. And that is going to be Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Or Haley, yeah. Haley, Haley. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, to be Haley, honest. Probably. It's Haley in Ireland, Haley here. Self-described as Trump without the chaos. That's how she describes herself, apparently. And I noticed that the Koch brothers have decided to finance her. And that the deal that will be done, apparently, I've heard the rumours, is that she will, on her first day of office, pardon Trump and release him from prison, if that is indeed where he is at the time. So uh, I think that's an interesting uh, outside bet, long odds bet. But the the political dynamic next year is is clearly of of great interest. But Jim, let's get a little bit closer to home, where, where neither of us are sitting at the moment. And this week, um, a few days ago, we had the all-important November exchequer returns. You've trailed these a lot and quite rightly describing them as the most important of the year. And lo and behold, they threw up a big surprise, reversing the trend of the previous three months' exchequer returns. So what do you think we should take our steer from in terms – I know you're going to describe the numbers to us in a second, but the message is what I'm interested in – is the slowdown in corporation tax of the previous three months the one that we should look at, or is the bounce back the thing that was more important, or is it just we don't know? A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Chris, the answer to that is very definitively, we don't know. Um, corporation tax is becoming incredibly volatile. You know, there's no doubt about that from month to month. And as you say, that period from August through to the end of October uh, was very, very weak. Then, um, as we have discussed, November is really the big month. And just to put that in context, in the first 11 months of the year, we've collected 22 billion in corporation tax. And the target for the year was 22.6. So, or, or slightly higher, actually, 23.1, I think. But we're, we're almost there, okay? But 22 billion. Um, and in November, we collected 6.3 billion. So, November is the big month. It was incredibly strong. It was up 1.3 billion on November of last year. And that has utterly changed the whole complexion of the public finances for the moment, at least, because uh, we now see, um, excuse me, corporation tax is running 4.2% or 897 million ahead of the first 11 months of last year. And that's something that wouldn't have been predicted at the end of October. Uh, income tax growing very strongly, up by 7.3%. Uh, VAT up by 8.6%. So the income tax piece, there's no surprises there because we've seen the evolution of the labour market and record levels of employment at the end of September again. Uh, the unemployment rate in Ireland ticking up a little bit, 4.7% in October, 4.8% in November, but still a very, very strong labour market backdrop. And that's being reflected in the income tax take. Uh, the VAT piece, uh, that's largely reflecting, I think, um, car sales, you know, which year to date are up about 15.5% and a lot of VAT comes through on that. But generally, you know, consumer spending holding up well. So the bottom line is, Chris, we don't know, okay? It is incredibly volatile from month to month. But you'd have to say November was an incredibly pleasant surprise uh, there is no doubt about that. But coming into 2024, all of the same uncertainty, speculation, and I definitely think volatility will be very apparent again in relation to the corporation tax take. And, uh, you know, the, the external environment will obviously be extremely important in that regard. But uh, I think you will continue to see a message coming out from Pascal Donoghue, who may be the next head of the IMF, and Michael McGrath about the threats to corporation tax, about the volatility of corporation tax and about the need to maintain, you know, conservative control over the public finances, which the government is not doing. Actually, it talks about it. It's not particularly doing because we know what the budget was like um, on October 10th. And it was it was interesting. I picked up during the last couple of days what the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council has been saying about the budget, um, about the cost of living measures not being targeted. I would 100% agree with that assessment. I described the budget at the time as a scattergun approach to economics that we, we all got a little bit. Nobody got anything significant. So I would much prefer a targeted approach to fiscal policy. But of course, the politics of that don't stack up. But IFAC generally was pretty um, scathing about the budget. Uh, a lot of what IFAC said I actually would agree with, other than, of course, it ignores the political reality. You know, 2024, we'll see two elections in June, local elections and European elections. And um, 
a general election has to be held by the end of March 2025. It could well happen in 2024. So we are very definitely in 2024 in election season, in election mode. And that's what um, that's what drove the budget in October. But uh, And it'll drive next October's budget as well if the government is still there. Yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to know, to see who actually gives the next budget in Ireland. I, I was telling you before we came on air that I've been booked for, uh, as we both of us often are, always are, uh, at that time of year, uh, for various budget speaking engagements. And uh, it's interesting that people are already getting dates in the diary um, without knowing uh, who is likely to be delivering that budget. It could be uh, a very radically different one to compared to last year. Um, so I think it could it, it'll either be a pre-election or a post-election budget by definition. Uh, but next year is a year of many elections, Jim. It starts in January with an election in Taiwan, which will be potentially very significant depending on who wins that because it is expected that Xi Jinping, the, the leader of China, will react depending on who wins that election. On Paddy's Day, we've got elections, well, they're sort of elections. Uh, they're a bit of a sham for Russia's presidency. Putin will be re-elected on uh, St. Patrick's Day, uh, March the 17th ne- next year. We potentially have a UK general election next year. UK is in the process, the UK government is in the process. Believe it or not, Jim, you probably haven't noticed sitting there in Canada, it's falling apart again. Really? What's, yes. happening? What's happening? Oh, Rishi Sunak is being a complete muppet and doing all sorts of really stupid things and reigniting the, the Brexit wars, essentially, uh, tearing the Tory party apart, rumours of motions of no confidence going in, rumours that his big immigration set-piece bill, which he'd been a complete idiot to promote in the first place, um, could actually be defeated or at least have a very difficult passage through both the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Uh, It sounds familiar stuff, Jim. You know, we kind of lived through it through the Brexit years and who was going to vote and with the Prime Minister last. There are actually suggestions that the leader of the Tory party, the prime minister that goes into the next general election, which must be within the next 14 months, I think it is, uh, maybe it's even 13 months now, um, might not be Rishi Sunak, that they might actually be insane enough to try and change their leader. Uh, is, is there any wonder why um, we all say that Britain is is broken? I don't want to make this podcast another rant about the UK, um, because I know that you have some more numbers that you'd like to discuss with us, Jim. So uh, a very quick discussion. Quick discussion about the GDP numbers. Is that right? Yeah, it is. But first, I'd like to ask you, is Liz Truss going to replace Rishi? I Well, one of the things that I have been hearing in, in my political gossip circles that I sometimes inhabit is that uh, Liz Truss is to be seen in deep conversation with Nigel Farage about what is going to happen afterwards. And uh, it, I think both of them would like to be leader of the party. Um, if not, obviously they can't have two leaders. Well, I suppose in principle, it, you could always have a joint leadership. It's never happened before. But uh, um, if they are talking, it must be because one of them anticipates being leader, and the other, num- the, the number two, I think, Pretty Patel, a blast from the past, is is uh, rumoured to be wanting to make a comeback post Rishi Sunak. But Rishi Sunak's days are clearly numbered, and on the basis of his performance so far. And they are all lining up for the battle to A, replace him, and B, take the Tory party in in whatever direction that means. Will it be the centrist one-nation party of old, or will it be this faction of right-wing 
uh, people that seem to be in the ascendancy in many different jurisdictions, not just the UK, we are going to have a battle royal for the Tory party. And I expect Rishi Sunak will go off to California and probably do something like Nick Clegg did, become a vice president of Facebook, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, is Farage, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you were saying Liz Truss speaking to Farage, is he not in Australia? Well, you know, there's always Zoom and, and texting well, and what's that? He in the, from what I read, he's in the middle of the jungle. I am happy to say, Jim, that I have never watched a single second of any, right. any of these reality TV shows. And I see reports that he's in some jungle-based programme. Um, I can only hope that he stays there, actually. Uh, but, yes, appar- is, apparently he is. Well, let, let's not wish ill health on anybody, Jim. But uh, <laughs> the jungle can be a very nice place for, for certain types of people. And I, I, I hope he's finding it very congenial. Right, Chris. Um, Irish GDP. Uh, last Friday, actually, we got the third quarter national accounts um, confirming that Ireland is technically in recession. Um, and in the fourth quarter of last year, GDP contracted by 1.6%. The first quarter this year contracted by one9 The second quarter by 04 And the third quarter by 1.9%. So we've had four successive quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, as usual, of course, the devil is in the detail. Uh, consumer spending holding up reasonably well, um, up 1%. In the final quarter of last year, 0.2 in the first, 0.8 in the second, and 0.7% in the third quarter. So consumer spending <clears throat> continues to be reasonably strong. But where the real weakness is coming through is on the export side. Um, we've had four successive quarters of negative export growth. And I apologize to listeners for all of these statistics, but you know I love these things. Exports down 2.1% in the final quarter of last year. in the first quarter, 4.2% in the second quarter, and 2.1% in the third quarter. And then, I I promise I'm nearly there, but if you strip out all of those multinational distortions and you look at modified domestic demand, which is basically demand on the ground in the economy, um, it increased by 0.3% in the second quarter of this year and was flat in the third quarter. So if you're confused, Chris, you should be confused. And if, if, if you're not confused, you haven't been listening to me, okay? <laughs> but um, it, it is clear that we continue to see this remarkable distortions between um, the external and the domestic side of the economy. I think the domestic side of the economy is okay. It's weakened. It definitely has weakened, but it, it's holding up reasonably well. But the, 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 the real weakness actually is coming through in many ways on the external side of the economy. You know, it's the export performance. And that's largely been driven by the chemical and pharmaceutical sector, but not exclusively because ICT exports also under a little bit of pressure. So, you know, o- overall, um, I, I think it describes an Irish economy that's approaching the end of 2024 in reasonable health, not dramatic, but reasonable. Do you mean health. next year or this year? Did I? Sorry, 2023. Yeah, that's okay. Yes, I beg your pardon. It is early in the morning, okay? I'm jet-lagged. So, no, the Irish economy ending 2023 in in reasonable health, not dramatic. um, But into 2024, you know, clearly the the big challenge is the global one. And uh, in, in that context, you'd have to say that 
you know, the global economic outlook next year is definitely uncertain. Um, and what that means, I think, is, you know, inflation continues to come down and central banks start to cut interest rates. Yeah. Jim, I can hear the jet lag in your voice. I can hear the fact that you've obviously been speaking in several locations this week, as you said earlier. You've obviously been on lots of aeroplanes, and I know that you've got more presentations to do today and a long flight ahead of you back to Dublin. So I wish you well for that flight. And I think we'll call the podcast here. We're out of time. I know we wanted to do one or two more things, but that just means that we can return to them when you are back um, and uh, over your next leg of jet lag. And one of the things I think it would be nice to do next week, given the month that's in it, is to actually do the other hand's outlook piece for 2024, where we can witter on and on about the perils of forecasting and then make a, then make our <laughs> own forecast. forecast. <laughs> is the quality of my voice not good, Chris? No? no it, you sound as if you've been speaking all week. <laughs> Listen, it's, gr- it's great to talk, and uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you from Dublin next week, okay? Have a good yeah. weekend. Have a great one. Cheers, Jim. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 